0: Today is February seventeenth, two thousand nineteen. Welcome to Native Calgarian. Native Calgarian is being recorded on the lands of the Blackfoot Confederacy. The Blackfoot, south of the imposed U.S.-Canadian border, are the Blackfeet. And north of the border, the Siksika, Gunai, and Begunni of the Confederation. These lands are also on Treaty Seven, signed in eighteen seventy-seven, with signatories that include the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Stoney Nakoda, now Wesley Chippewa and Bearspaw Nations, and the Sutina Nation. I acknowledge all First Nation, Métis, Inuit, status, and non-status across Turtle Island as the keepers of these lands. Oki. I'm Mekochis Chastakom Aki. Or Red Thunder Woman in Blackfoot. My spirit name was given to me in ceremony. Uh, My humblest apologies to the Blackfoot elders and language keepers as I try to learn proper pronunciation. I honor the Blackfoot. My name is Michelle Robinson, and I was born in Calgary as Michelle Elliott in a very English name, which has afforded me great privilege in the English colonial world. My mother is Northern Slavey Dene, or Satu Dene, but my Indian Act Imposed Status Card by the Canadian government says Yellow Knives Dene. My father is so Canadian that I'm the daughter of the Mayflower and a daughter of the American Revolution while having an Indian Act Imposed Status Card. I acknowledge my Dene lineage and that I was born in Calgary, but my family is not part of the Treaty 7 signatories. My Dene lineage roots me in the land of the Hare people, also called the Great Bear Lake people in Treaty 11. I am a native to Turtle Island, and my Dene nation is a visitor to this area called Clincho Tine Indahay in Dene, uh, meaning Many Horse Town, named after the Calgary Stampede. And you hear the Blackfoot actually call it uh, Mokinstis. Land acknowledgements are critical to creating a safer place for Indigenous, as well as honouring the host as a guest. Any mistakes or misinterpretations will be on me. I encourage questions so that misunderstandings can be cleared up as soon as possible. I do not speak on behalf of all Indigenous, but I'll just share what I know as I walk down the red road. If you're experiencing emotional distress after hearing anything we talk about today, want to talk... Call the First Nations and Inuit Hope for Wellness Helpline at 1-855-242-3310. It's toll-free and open 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, and is culturally sensitive. For our non-Indigenous, you have distress centers across the country for you too. Patreon account, Native Calgarian, where you can pledge and support. I want to say thank you to the previous donors for already showing your support to the show. If you value listening and can afford to give, thank you. To those that cannot afford to give but listen in, I'd love to hear from you at native at gmail.com where you can send me your questions or comments. We are also on iTunes. We are also on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. Nativecalgarian.com is no longer up. I got mail. So I got some mail, which was wonderful to receive. Thank you. I'll read it to you. Hey Michelle. Thanks for the podcast. One thing you said this episode that I'd like to correct about is actually the Lunar New Year. It's not tied up to any one country and especially not China, which is very much a colonial nightmare in the area. One of my ex-girlfriends when I was younger was Tibetan. The stories she told me of her father's flight for his life were unpleasant. My Korean wife taught me that as their culture actually goes by the Lunar and Gregorian calendars, and depending on which calendar the person refers to, usually generational, her parents go by the lunar calendar, birthdays will change in the Gregorian calendar because they don't map the same each year. Thanks again. Can't wait for the next one, Adam. So thank you, Adam, for that. And I loved reading that because it just means somebody's listening. So thank you. also want to say thank you to John Hamilton for all your shares, retweets, tags, and for the kind words. Um, Well, today, actually, oh, oh my God, that noise you just heard literally was John Hamilton. So I'm going to turn off my phone and just say thank you for those kind words about gaslighting. Um, He told me that he learned about gaslighting through my campaign. And uh, so I'll just read to you for some of you folks who may have never heard of it before. um, Gaslighting means to manipulate somebody's perception of reality so that they doubt their own sanity. So he shared this really great article called Gaslighting the uh, Climate Striking Students by Julia Steinberger. Uh, And I just shared this one part that said, right now we are seeing world leaders, government ministers, editors of major media, all lining up to try to gaslight us, their citizens, the public. They want us to disbelieve our own eyes, ears, our own minds, reasoning, and emotions because the alternative is simply impossible for them to bear. So it's a really great article. I shared it. Hope you read it. Let me know what you thought of it or even post comments. Um, so yeah, I'd also like to hear if you listened to the last episode of the Indigenous Apprehension System. Shout out to uh, Jesse Winty and Masqueboisis for sharing Jesse's tweet from June 17, 2018 for the tweet. Colonial states separate children from parents because they know it works destroys and traumatizes for generations. It's an attack on the future as well as the present. It's not a partisan issue, it's a colonial one. Of course, that's incredibly incredibly relevant for me after my experience the last few weeks. And um, I think it's also relevant to the US where you were seeing it uh, happening at the border. But I mean, that's just been a reality across Turtle Island since colonialism. And I would really wish we would have different conversations today than my auntie and my mom were having 35 years ago. Regardless, some local stuff I wanted to talk to you about and share. Um, So there was this new group that happened around um, New Year, or yeah, New Year's, and it was uh, YYC Pride Tribe. So I tried reaching out to them personally, and um, I just didn't feel like there was an understanding of what appropriation really was. So my big, you know, tip of the hat to Pride Calgary for you know, reaching out to them and then reaching out to me to talk about um, that issue. And then they have now changed their name to Pride Social Circle. And I just wanted to amplify the great work that um, Calgary Pride did as an ally to Voices for trying to explain it in a way that maybe they could understand in a better way. And to uh, Pride Social Circle for trying hard to understand where some of the uh, queer POC people are coming from on this. So just a huge tip of your hat. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Valentine's Memorial March also happened. And a big shout out to Chantelle Changion Grey Eyes and her mom, Cheryl, for always hosting this. And again, her mom, Cheryl, is running for the Green Party as the leader. So, well, she is the leader, but now she's running for the Green Party provincially. So, um, you know, that Memorial March is for um, families to remember And have a memorial to their lost loved women in their life that were killed and murdered by, um, you know, society as per usual. So, my heart goes out to so many folks out there. Um, Coincidentally, the Calgary Police Service thought it was a great idea to put out a whole bunch of valentines for their wanted people. And they included the fellow who actually um, chopped up Joey English. So unfortunately um that that uh, really triggered a lot of people and really upset a lot of people and um at this point we're just going to work with the family it was the best course of uh i like best recourse i suppose and go from there so yeah if you want to research more about that please go right ahead um but there was a cool video of the calgary stampede uh princess First Nation Princess at the Sydney Opera House, which I shared. Hope you all got to see that. That was some good news. So uh, today is Sunday, tomorrow is Monday, and Monday night is book club. And we're looking forward to reading the TRC Calls to Action about culture and language, which is a really interesting about conversation to continue here later in the podcast. Um, the next book club after that is Teresa Marie Mailhuts. Heartberries, and I have a few copies from the library, so it's a first come first serve. It's also Black History Month, and Action Dignity is hosting a black intersectionality panel february twenty eighth at six thirty at community wise hope you'll uh, come and attend March twelfth seven thirty p m Mount Royal. There is a really great conversation happening called the Gift of Our Wounds, where um I used to say seek, but it's a sick and a former. White Supremacist, Find Forgiveness. So I'm really looking forward to seeing that book and uh, hearing um, how that goes down. March 14th at 7 p.m. at Shelf Life Books, Ariel Twist with um, Vic Shara. A beautiful night of poetry between uh, Ariel Twist, who's Two Spirit and, um, and, well, and just QP- POC in general. So it's going to be great. I'm really excited about that. I want to give a shout out to Sharon Stevens, one of my favorite activist mentors, for your kindness, uh, to be sharing and promoting us in the Best of Calgary, as we were both nominated for Best Civic Activist. And um, that was alongside with Mark and Mike, and I'm grateful to have such great people in my life. Thank you all for teaching me. I want to give another shout out to the Sprawl and Hadel abdel Nabi's contribution to Calgary's Northeast with the article... East Calgary is not a culture tour. I'm just going to read a little excerpt to give you a flavor. The unacknowledged smiling racism and casual microaggressions, for example. The fact that the weather revolves around two seasons, smoke smoke inhalation, and it's too cold to breathe. And the way the rest of the city treats the East End, you know, the poor parts. I'm talking about Rundle, Forest Lawn, Dover, Marlborough, etc. So Calgary, can we please talk about that, please? I've spent my entire life in the Northeast. I was born in Peter Lougheed Hospital, and I haven't ever lived further than 10 minutes away from it. One of my most distinct memories growing up is looking outside my window at night towards the illuminated Marlborough Mall M. My first job was at the Marlborough Walmart, and my first ever driving lesson was at the Costco parking lot. All this to say I'm a Northeast kid to my core. Wherever I go, I carry it with me. Whether it's you like it or not, where do you live comes into play. I started noticing it in elementary school. I actually didn't attend a school in my district until high school. Before then, my parents were set on sending my brother and I to the quote-unquote best, um, in parentheses, whitest, schools in the city. So I spent a lot of my childhood and preteen years existing in two worlds. My elementary school was in the deep south, as in wake up at 5 a.m. to catch the bus south. And you could probably guess it was really white. Aside from my cousin and my little brother, I could count the ethnic kids on one hand. It was a great school. I have lots of great memories, and I'd like to think it played a big role in who I am now. But it was around grade four that I began to feel a tinge of embarrassment when the bus would cross into Marlborough. As I grew, that tinge grew with me until it was all-consuming shame, the panic and hesitation I felt before answering, "Where do you live?" End of the excerpt. Such a great—I uh, enjoyed the whole thing. That was just a small taste of the whole thing. Um, you know, I ran for Ward 10. A lot of these communities—I, uh, if, if don't, if I don't work in, I wanted to represent, and um, I thought talking about uh racism and equity was really important through my campaign. So I was really grateful to read this because, you know, I'm, I mean, don't get me wrong. I do love the uh, food tour that happens on 17th Avenue. And a lot of people from Calgary will go to it. And I highly recommend it. It's not just a cultural tour to come to the Northeast. And for people to look down on the Northeast solely based on um, ethnic diversity, it's a sh- real shame. So this uh, article really encapsulated all of those feelings in one. And I just want to give you a shout out to the Sprawl and Hadil for such a great article. So a lot of people have been asking me, Michelle, what is your stance on Jodie Wilson-Raybould? And, uh, you know, where do I even begin? First, I'm going to say this, a little shout out to my girl who said, Oh, mom, I thought her name was Rainbow the way you always said it. <laughs> so apparently I was reading enough articles that she caught on that that isn't her actual last name of uh, Jody Wilson Rainbow. <laughs> anyway, um, so this isn't a really um, funny situation, but I'm going to start off by saying this. Canadians Against uh, Workplace Bullying and Psychological Violence shared a quote by Red Hair Crow, and it says, you do not have to disrespect and insult others simply to hold your own ground. If you do, that shows how shaky your own position is. And I thought that was a really timely quote that they had shared, but also just to kind of put into motion what's happening with uh, the Jody Wilson Rainbow affair. And, um, you know, this is really important to me that she was appointed justice minister and the attorney general. I actually cried because I thought... Oh, maybe we're going to have some severe changes in our justice system and maybe some of these lawsuits that have uh that the government continually files against indigenous people will somehow magically be dropped. And uh the more I researched into it, the more I realized she actually doesn't have jurisdiction to do that completely. So, I wasn't so surprised to see um not I I think the term muffled is is the wrong term to use. I think a lot of people are using it because they like to play divisive politics and they like to sell, um, newspapers, but ultimately, um, she's, she can't speak right now because she's lowering up as is all the other lawyers in the government. So, um, right now she's, um, consulting with, uh, a retired Supreme court justice about her options about the, you know, smart next move. And, um, I don't blame her for being, you know, measured and cautious about saying anything because ultimately she's still a representative of the Canadian government, she's still a liberal, she's still on Justin's team. So, you know, there has to be a way to support both her and uh, our pri- our prime minister through this moment uh while their lawyers figure out what's appropriate to say and what's not to say. I mean, if it, this was Stephen Harper or Peter McKay, nobody would question the silence because, you know, they just for whatever reason understand that you can't always um, talk during a legal matter. I'm shocked at how many people think it's perfectly acceptable on this legal matter for, you know, them to suddenly be, uh, you know, talking about this publicly. You know, I really believe that both the government and both... Um, Jodie Wilson-Raybould's team of lawyers are looking at this very cautiously and trying to figure out what's in the best interest of Canada and what's, you know, what what can be said. So I actually really applaud her for being um, stoic and measured and not commenting um, prematurely without, you know, damaging maybe her relationship with the Canadian government um, or Uh, the team that she's been representing the last few years. So I'm definitely going to be with her. Now that said, big shout out to Selena, uh, our black MP. I love retweeting you. you know, And she was one of the first people to call out the fact that um, I didn't read the um, liberal uh, insiders that were leaking these comments about Jody Wilson Rainbow not being a team player or that she was hostile or you know, whatever, whatever they said. Such a bull. Anyway, I was really proud of Selena for being one of the first people, first MPs to like publicly say, I think every single woman has heard this term at them for, you know, asserting themselves. So, and I see, you know, Jane Philpont put out a beautiful tweet about how much Jody had taught her about law as well as Indigenous issues. So, You know, no question. Um, People are asking me, Michelle, what's your opinion? I can tell you, one hundred percent, a lot of the liberals are united on this of supporting Jody. No question, but they also support Justin. So for us, it's just a matter of waiting to see what can be said, when it can be said, and nobody's allowed to comment. And and I mean, that's just the way it is. We want to do what's best. Um, As a liberal, I'm not part of the government. Being part of the Liberal Party is not the same as being government. So there's a huge distinction there. And trying to explain this to a few people has been, you know, actually quite easy. And a lot of people are very understanding of it. So I think those who are a little more level-headed um, understand what why there's caution on that. And I think for those that, um, you know, want to make a big deal and sell media and such, like, that's media. That's always been media. It's going to continue. But uh, one thing that's been really upsetting has been these cartoons that have been put out there and they're incredibly awful cartoons of, you know, Justin Trudeau in like boxing gloves and Jodie Wilson rainbow being tied up and gagged and, you know, obvious um, violence against indigenous women and the And the irony about this is that you know, I just talked about the valentine Valentine's Memorial March that happens nationally. It is so inappropriate for the you know Adler's or whatever his car- cartoonist name is to be putting something like that out. It just shows how out of touch with Canada, out of touch with the issue of violence against women, out of touch with the issue of violence against indigenous women, we're literally in the middle of a inquiry on this issue. And I just truly believe there's so many folks who just still don't understand the violence women are facing in Canada. And worse, make light of it in a stupid, tasteless cartoon. Um, um Ryan McMahon said it was lazy. What a great term. Like <laughs> It is lazy. It's not only not funny, but it's lazy. So there has been uh, a little bit of, oh, I apologize that you were offended type apologies that have no concept of why it is they're apologizing. And um, the one tweet I read even had a spelling mistake. You know, Canada, how ridiculous it is that you took us... uh, It's ridiculous that you took all these native people and you, you know, tortured us to learn your stupid language of English and then you can't even tweet it right, an apology. So, yeah... Apology not accepted, let me tell you that. Um, and But, you know, even locally, so here in Calgary, like I'm in Calgary, but we actually do have two Liberals that were elected. I know, I know, I hope you all were sitting for that news, because it, it is actually true. Um, Darshan Khan was elected, as was uh, Kent Hare, and Kent Hare and Darshan uh, made a lot of news nationally, but Kent is still a part of the Cabinet, so his investigation was... Um, positive for the Liberal Party for him to stay where he, he did. So um, I support Kent. Uh, Kent's one of those people that have I've had a long history with. Uh, when he was still in MLA here in um, Alberta, he was one of the folks that always showed up and always talked about, um, you know, issues of ableism and issues for LGBTQ2+. I remember when he tabled Motion 503, and we were in front of um, Here in Calgary, we have a building we all stand in front of called McDougall. That's kind of a provincial building. And we had a small little protest there uh, talking about GSAs in schools. That was really the catalyst that started this conversation. It was him. Anyway, Kent Hare, you know, uh, Darshan, David Swan, always, always, always been nothing but welcoming to me, showing up at all of the events about violence against Indigenous women Uh, mentored me and really encouraged me to continue talking and have given me the voice that I have today. So I have a deep respect. When I ran for Ward 10, Kent Hare, he uh, called me a few days before the election and said, Michelle, look, I know you feel really alone right now, but don't worry. When you win, you're going to have a whole bunch of people and a bigger team surrounding you. But I know right now you feel really alone. And I can't tell you how much that's meant to me. So anyway, um folks were questioning him on his page like what's your stance on this whole Jody Wilson Rainbow issue? And um you know, I tried to just say, "Look, let's talk about it. Let's talk about it on the next door knock." And I showed up at the next door knock in the hopes that folks would be willing to talk about it and you know, have a good discussion because as a person who's ca- in cabinet, he's not really he's a lawyer first and foremost too, so he knows not to talk about it and he can't talk about it because he can't jeopardize the government, um the liberal team, or Jody and I don't blame him. I went to show up and actually we didn't have much of a conversation because the folks that are allowed on the internet weren't necessarily at the door knock, so uh we went and had a door knock and um yeah, I watched a young woman like break down in tears and say how hard things are. And she talked about how expensive her rent was. And we talked a little bit about the affordable housing that strategies that we've put in place. And um, he also took her name and, and number and his office is going to get in touch with her to make sure that she's getting all of the available tax breaks that she's supposed to get as a person on disability. And um, you know, again, I will say Uh, Years ago, when he was an MLA, every Monday or every Sunday morning, he would go down to McDonald's and help people with their paperwork, their provincial paperwork on disabilities. This man like has a real heart and uh, truly cares about everybody. So I um I really respect that. And he shared a great article about uh, a man with a in a wheelchair and uh, he goes around and clears all the sidewalks because he can and has the energy and. I just adore Kent and I I wish uh, folks would be kind to him because at the end of the day, um, he's like one of the best shots of liberal we have here in Calgary. So we really should be rallying behind him, frankly. Um, But another thing I wanted to share about Jody Wilson-Rainbow before I, I end it was a great article I shared about keeping her word on visiting the veterans, um, even though she stepped down from that portfolio, which she obviously was very committed to before this uh, huge media flare-up, um, and she was forced to step down from it. Um, you know, she kept her word and went and visited this veteran veteran's place and spent a couple of hours, and I think they said something like to the effect there was only 40 veterans there, but she individually spent time with every one of them and didn't talk about politics nothing you know the article speaks for itself about um, how much integrity this woman has so jody and to the pmo staff who's probably listening to this making sure i didn't say anything inappropriate just want to give you all a shout out and uh let you know that i'm watching obviously i'm not going to be leaving anytime soon because i got to support jody through all of this and i will and uh as well i'm sure the entire indigenous peoples commi- or inti- in the entire indigenous peoples commission um you know we're here to support in the indigenous policy and our indigenous candidates and we do fundraising for our indigenous candidates and that stuff means the world to us and if we can help we will and sometimes us helping is just trying to calm this down so with that, I'm going to move on. This is not a very nice story I'm going to talk about. So huge trigger warning. You might want to not listen to this part. Um, a lot of national news was made. You have to understand the timing of how awful this is. Like We just had the Valentine's Day Memorial March, and you, um, which I didn't attend, by the way, and I'll explain why after this, but um, there was a little girl out east, and uh, her name is Raya, and she Just turned 11 on her birthday. And she was supposed to come home from a visit. And her mom immediately called the police. There was an Amber Alert put out. And it turned out her father killed her. And I just wanted to read to you the one tweet that really put together my rage and pain in one. So a shout out to Nadine Thornhill who tweeted this. By the way, the Amber Alert would have never happened if Raya's father hadn't murdered her. He is responsible for disturbing our precious, precious sleep. Let's direct our rage accordingly. Of course, that was on February 15th. Um, yeah, I, I'm sure we all across the country can't even believe that um, an 11-year-old was killed on her birthday by her father and that there was any, any type of negative um, fallout towards... The Amber Alert System or 911. Like, I'm pretty sure there's not one of us across the country that's not united on this. And if you can see a point of view on this that you'd send in, I'd love to read it. I just, I can't see how anyone can justify that at all. Um, anyway, if you're mad about it, please redirect your anger to the man who caused this. And again, You know, y'all think it's funny to have cartoons depicting violence. Um, At the end of the day, when are you guys going to be okay with the fact that our girls and our women are being brutally murdered at the hands of people who are supposed to love us? I I don't know why you're okay with that, Canada. Love to understand that, but I can't. So, uh, some positive news that might reduce a little bit of the violence against Indigenous women at the Unistoten camp an archaeological survey it must now be done because thousands of years old arrowheads were found. So it is actually legal to proceed at this point. So with Sutuin strong, I'm, my I'm thinking of you and I hope that uh, positive news comes from this. It's just hard to imagine because I know these energy companies, once they have it in their head, they can do it. They will. And uh, especially if you have the BC government and the RCMP all eager to do it with guns a So, let's hope uh, for some positive change there. So, we're going to change it now from Canadian and national politics to Alberta politics. Um, (laughs) Jason Kenney. You know, he was on Harper's team, so I have many years of uh, issues with him and his long history of what he does. Anyway, most recently he has come out and talked about his new plans to eliminate the new vamped education, which would, of course, include the Indigenous inclusion. A farm bill, all sorts of fun stuff. So folks, remember, you didn't learn these things in school because these forces that stop that knowledge yet continue uh, accuse of ideology are out there. So vote wisely. I'm going to give a shout out to my MLA, Prab Gill, for going to the RCMP with proof on uh, casting fake votes through identity fraud schemes. I want you, folks to go check out the uh, press progress for that great story because that's important. Um, I do not understand how folks get let these cons get away with all of this stuff. I will never understand it, especially locally. Now, I also want to give a shout out to uh, Heather and Cheryl Shangyang gray eyes from the Green Party. Uh, I, sh- I shared a alumni podcast from the UFC that was on the life of Cheryl. So, I uh, hope a few of you checked it out if you did, let me know what you thought of it. So, I guess we're we'll go bigger now. I uh, did some local, did the national, now uh did some provincial. I watched uh the outright Age of Rage doc that was on the uh Netflix. Uh, I'll just give you a a quick reading of it. During the first year of Donald Trump's presidency, Antifa activist Daryl Lamont Jenkins combats the rise of the alt-right movement, while alt-right leader Richard Spence fights to gain ground, culminating in a showdown in Charlottesville, Virginia. That's where it ends. So it was released on March 9th of 2018. So it's almost a full year old, and I'm just watching it, but it it ended right at that Charlotte Charleston or or Charlottesville, Virginia incident. So it's really incredible to watch. I highly recommend it. Um, You know, I know uh, my husband was trying to engage my daughter on it, but during the actual uh, movie, she kept kind of pausing and asking questions and interjecting. So I think it was really positive for uh, for her to see a lot of this. Now, I grew up in Sylvan Lake where they were burning crosses down in Caroline. So for me, this is something I'm actually quite used to. I haven't heard of them doing that in quite some time though. So uh, it's interesting now my my daughter's childhood, watching her be exposed to Trump and this whole alt-right, but her first years of life were just Barack Obama and Ellen. So it was pretty, you know, I don't know, lovey-dovey and easy for her, I guess. So Yeah, I think that this is probably really waking her up to the reality of the way things are. So anyway, um, I thought I highly recommend folks see it. And if you do, send me in your comments of what you thought of it. Today, I shared a really great article by Sandra Anukkuk, and it was uh, Dear White People. And I wanted to share this one because although I know it's more addressing the Inuit, This is like something that resonated so deep with me. Uh, Number 17. White people do not seem to understand why Inuit do not volunteer or volunteer as much for boards and committees, etc. I can promise that Inuit are expending more hours and energy helping each other out than any superstar white volunteer who gets all the volunteer awards. Inuit deal with a lot of loss or trauma we help those grieving. The invisible volunteering we do is giving rides, visiting each other, helping with application forms, feeding, and looking after kids, taking somebody shopping or to run errands, helping with sewing projects, fixing snow machines, fundraising for funerals, or kids sports. This is just the tip of the iceberg. Number 18, address your apathy. I thought that was pretty, uh, pretty much encapsulates my life right now. And um I don't think that there's enough understanding of what First Nations, Inuit and Metis go through for each other, frankly. And uh, you know, we talk about it being emotional labor. Anyway, this whole article is worth reading. So I truly hoped a few of you did try reading it. And if you did, share it, you know, send me your comments. I'd love to hear from you. Um so I kind of wanted to finish all ev- put everything together with something that I I I shared as well and I really want you to be thinking about reconciliation and I really want you to consider this too often white people rush towards these hard conversations th- seeking the relief of confef- confession or forgiveness but the restoration of those who have been harmed is more important than the relief of those who have perpetrated Perpetuated harm. Perhaps our task, when we feel the impulse to confess, is to be certain others aren't injured by our admission, and to wait until we are strong enough to assume responsibility for who we are and all that we have inherited, whether we are forgiven or not. And that was from an article. Why do racists forgive forgiveness or deserve forgiveness? And um, again, it, it was just such a great article to really try to talk about, you know, the harm that's done in this system that is purposely designed to harm Indigenous folk and uh, Black people. So really enjoyed it, Black History Month. With that, I want to say that Indigenous have been talking about these issues, sharing our traumas in reports, commissions, and in public hearings, just so it can be regularly disregarded. No more. Honour our words. Honour our treaties. Listen to politicians and their platforms. If they don't recognise the marginalised in their budget with Gender Equity Plus, if they are cutting violence prevention programmes and services, if they're going to cut the new education um, updates curriculum, know that your vote to that party is directly negatively impacting marginalised people. Demand that they implement the Truth and Reconciliation Commission calls to action The recommendations of the Royal Commission on Aboriginal People, the multiple reports about child welfare reform and violence prevention, our people are experiencing extreme racism in the educational, justice, and health institutions with multiple reports that say the same thing, demand change from the election platforms and politicians, and if they do not understand colonialism, racism, privilege, and sexism, they literally have zero business running. Yeah, I would really love to expand on that one day um, from what I witnessed just this week. This should be understood by all parties and local politicians, community organizations, sports, etc. And I know for a fact it's not, and there's a reason why you don't have people of color on your boards. Violence is my everyday reality. Every Indigenous generation has faced it. That's why I started this podcast. To speak freely without interruption, without tone police, without leadership shaming, without gaslighting questions, as many people don't want to hear Indigenous opinion, but sure like to spread theirs. And by people who know nothing about privilege, Indigenous colonialism, constant surveillance Indigenous face, our protests, our vigils, our rights, our children, just typical microaggressions. Then there are the people dealing with internalized racism. Who are gatekeepers that survive off the status quo you know by not giving funding to those who need it most or people who are so in their trauma they stop people from doing the good work and depleting personal resources internal and external racism is an everyday reality for indigenous people that's why i needed this podcast i hope one day my family my daughter will be proud in the future of me trying to discuss these present-day issues in a way that they can understand down the road. I want to continue by putting cultural safety into action. So there are things that you can do if you see people create a safer place for marginalized folks. Do something. Having good intentions is not enough. Take action to make change. Speak out against any type of marginalization. Ask questions with those with more understanding. Find allies and create a support system This is basically like um, first aid training, only what to do when you see, you know, ableism, racism, a million other things. Do take responsibility for your own learning. Read, reflect, ask questions, but don't expect this to come from marginalized people. Take time for self-reflection. Be aware of your own assumptions and biases. And when I say that, I mean... If you truly think people are making poor poor choices by being apprehended by a government system that they did not have a choice in, that might be a bias or an assumption you might want to question. Question everything you've learned about Indigenous people and take steps to actively disrupt those stereotypes. Commit to lifelong learning. Be prepared to be uncomfortable. Understanding colonialism and the legacy of racism is an ongoing and difficult task. I'd like to say thank you to HereToHelp.bc.ca to helpbcca for what is cultural uh, safety and why I should care about it. Internalized racism or lateral violence is another form of violence indigenous and marginalized folks experience by the structure of racism imposed on these lands, such as the Indian Act, Indian residential schools, and other land clearing policies. And you can just Google what is internalized racism or maybe see Donna Bevins. She had a good resource that I've used. Do's and don'ts for bystander intervention. So again, this is like first aid training on how to deal with you know racism, sexism, all those things. You know, do make your presence known as a witness. You know, make eye contact with the person being harassed, ask them if you want their support, move closer to them, if possible, be a barrier. I actually had a folks say, oh, well, what if I'm too scared and I don't want to aggravate it? There are de-escalation techniques that you can Google. But for anybody to be leaving somebody high and dry, if you're too afraid to call the police or if you're too afraid to do any intervention, imagine how hard it is for the person being targeted. So that's why moving closer to them actually can help them. It makes them feel stronger. So film, record the incident. As I've said, even in protests, I find that it deescalates both the police and the protesters. But always take cues from the person being harassed. Um, You know, would you like me to walk over here? Would you wanna to move to another train car? Would you like for this person to leave you alone? Follow their lead. Notice if the person is resisting in their own way and honor that. Um, Do not tone police somebody being harassed if they shout back at them because they're finding their strength in their voice and they weren't the one being originally attacked. Follow up with the person being harassed after the incident is over and see if they need anything. Uh, Do what you can to be safe with the both of you, but pull others close by if they are willing. Working it as a team is a better idea because guaranteed there's at least two two of you and one of them. Don't call the police unless somebody asks you to. Uh, For many communities experiencing harassment, whether Arab, Muslim, Um, immigrant, black, trans, queer, indigenous, the police can actually cause a greater harm for the person being harassed. So don't escalate the situation. Again, Google de-escalating techniques. The goal is to get the person being harassed to safety and not incite further violence from the attacker. Don't do nothing as silence is dangerous and it communicates approval and leaves the victim high and dry. If you find yourself too nervous or afraid to speak out, Move closer to the person being harassed to communicate your support with your body. Teach your kids about accountability in a positive way. You know, I'm going to read Penny Middleton's tweet. We should teach our girls this phrase. What did you mean by that? As a subtle way to hold people accountable and a way to teach our girls that sitting in discomfort is not a gender prerequisite. And that was posted on January 18th of 2018. So over a year old. But again, you know, you can give your contact card to somebody and say, hey, if you want to talk about this later, it validates their experience. If you are experiencing emotional distress and want to talk, call the First Nation and Inuit Hope for a Wellness Helpline at 1-855-242-3310. It is toll-free and open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I want to say thank you to my ancestors, my granny, my mum. what strength looks like through your example. I want to thank my dad for being... Strong and blunt, and teaching me how to do that. I want to say thank you to my stepmom for showing me what a proud culture is through your Austrian family and roots, and stepping up and teaching me how to be a proud Calgarian. It's through you, I am a second-generation proud Calgarian. I want to say thank you to my husband Darcy for producing and editing the show, on top of being my husband, childhood friend, father of our child, and support down my journey of the Red Road. He's witnessed decades of racism and sexism. To our child, who we are blessed from to learn from every single day, we are honored you chose us. You give me daily accountability to be a stronger and better person. My Patreon account is Native Calgarian, where you can pledge in support. Thank you, Amanda, Ashley, Beatrice, Diana, Joni, Judy, Kenna, Matt, Nancy, Nathan, Phyllis, Sharon, The Sprawl, Tiffany, and Veronica. Thank you all for signing up. I really appreciate it. If you value listening, can afford to give thank you to those who cannot afford to give in but listen in. I'd love to hear from you at native at gmail.com where you can send in your comments or questions. We are now on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. And I want to end with my beautiful cousin in mind. When I side eye all of the Calgary Rabbits, you're lucky I'm not tradition. And my beautiful cousin will respond, or you would be in my dish.